Well, hey, good morning, New Life Fellowship. Uh, our cameraman Joe made me do that. Um, but uh, that was the song Crazy by Norris Barkley. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, my name is Eric No, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, uh, believe it or not. Uh, you know, we've been in this series called One Hit Wonders, where we've been studying the five books of the Bible uh, that have one chapter in them. And we're actually concluding this series today with our final book, uh, in Jude. And the reason why we entitled this sermon Crazy uh, is because indeed this book of Jude is really crazy. Uh, if you read through it, um, there's a lot of talk of judgment and punishment. Uh, if you thought the Old Testament was harsh, I mean, my goodness, Jude uh, has a lot of talk of judgment and punishment. In addition to that, uh, Jude uh, uses a lot of imagery that's not uh, really uh, accessible to the modern reader. Uh, and on top of that, he, he talks about crazy things like uh, Michael the, the angel having a debate with Satan over the body of Moses. Uh, and so these are the kinds of things that make this book a little crazy. And uh, lastly, Jude is not one of the more well-known apostles. Um, he's not like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John, and so there's very little that we know about Jude himself. And so with all of that said, it makes this book quite crazy. Uh, and yet, even though it's crazy, this book really packs a really wonderful punch. And so I'm so excited to conclude our series with this book. Uh, and really quick, uh, Joe, our cameraman, just notified me that uh, Narles Barkley, who's the, the group or the duo that wrote this song, um, you know, technically this is a one-hit wonder, um, but apparently CeeLo is a part of this group, and so CeeLo has had many other hits before, so it could technically not be a one-hit wonder. But, uh, but whatever the case is, uh, we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, well, before we dive into the actual passage and we get to reading it and actually kind of expounding on the passage, just a few announcements. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, we are so excited because next week, uh, although we're concluding the series today, next week we're starting a brand new series. It's an Advent series called Angel Stories. And, uh, you know, we have a little trailer here for you guys to preview. So take a look at this trailer. You know, I'm so excited for this series because uh, what we're going to be doing uh, in Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, is we're going to be studying the four stories. Uh, the four stories where the different people in Jesus' birth narrative actually encounter the angels themselves. So we'll be studying Mary and her encounter with the angel. We'll be studying Joseph and his encounter with the angel, along with the shepherds and then the wise men. And so we'll be looking at those over the course of four weeks. Uh, in addition to that, please check out our Instagram. Uh, over the next couple of days, we'll be sending out uh, another giveaway. Uh, and so please subscribe, follow, to our, uh, follow our Instagram page so you can uh, be up to date on that giveaway. 
Second announcement is if you're new here, welcome. We have a newcomer Zoom meeting every single Sunday at 1 p.m. Please join us for that. A third announcement is, uh, uh, is that we have a vision uh, budget meeting on December 13th, a Sunday at 5 p.m. Okay. Again, that's a that's a vision slash budget meeting uh, on December thirteenth. That's a Sunday at five p.m. Uh, right after we watch the Seahawks destroy the New York Jets, um, and so. Uh, uh, please join us for that. Uh, the reason why we're doing vision and budget together is because those two things go hand in hand, so please join us for that. We'll be sending out the Zoom link via our newsletter, so if you're not subscribed already to our newsletter, please go ahead to do so, so you can receive that link. And lastly, just want to thank every single one of you who shared our services last week, for those that contribute generously to our church, and for those that serve our church faithfully week in and week out. Also, we want to thank all of you who signed up for uh, serving uh, because you were compelled by last week's service uh, about being a guys. So thank you to everyone who signed up to serve. Uh, you can still sign up to serve. It'll come up right there. Uh, in our chat box for you. Uh, so please do, if you maybe were compelled last week but just sort of forgot to sign up, well, there it is. You can still do so. Uh, well, that's all the announcements. I promise you, that's it. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to dive into the book of Jude, and we do have three points as we normally do. Uh, the first point is this. It's contending faith. The second point is cheap grace. And third point is costly discipleship. So contending faith, cheap grace, and costly discipleship. So if you're taking notes, you can write those three things uh, down. Well, let's go ahead. If you're able to at this time, would you rise as we read God's word? Uh, we've been reading through all the books of the Bible. So uh, this one as well, we're going to read through the whole thing. Uh, and guess what? You've now read, if you followed us through this series, you've now read five books of the Bible. So let me go ahead and read this entire thing for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could say thanks be to God. I'll pray for us, and then I'll seat you after the reading of God's word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as, a, as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But... You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you, God, for the words that Jude has recorded for us. Lord, we thank you so much, God, that we can study them today. Lord, we pray that you would make this confusing passage alive in our hearts. Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit makes everything clear. And so, Spirit, would you help me now to preach your words, not my own, but yours, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated right there at home. So let's dive into our first point, a contending faith. Uh, you know, about nine years ago, I started uh, doing college ministry, and I remember being assigned this task to create and start a new college ministry. And one of the first college students that I began ministering to, uh, he was very, very faithful in coming week in and week out, every single week, uh, Sundays and Fridays, which is when we'd gather as a college ministry, he'd come out and he'd worship with us, he'd uh, do Bible studies with us and attend small groups, and he was very, very faithful. But over the course of a few months, I, I noticed that he stopped attending Sunday worships at times. He would sort of skip out on Sundays. He would sort of skip out on Fridays. And over some time, I began meeting up with him to just check up on him to see how he was doing. Well, I come to find out that he's uh, been confused. He's been doubting. Uh, he's been kind of living uh, a different life and, uh, and, and just a lot of sort of turmoil in his own soul. And I, as I tried to walk him through this, uh, what ended up happening in our college ministries, it really just began to grow. Uh, we went from, I think, about like 25 or so individuals uh, we started out with, and it grew to about 80 or so weekly attendance. And so during that time, I sort of got wrapped up with all the ministry and got really busy with uh, keeping up with this college ministry. And so, you know, I, I sort of lost touch with him. And lo and behold, a few years later, I'm walking on campus and I see him. Uh, I see him walking around, and so we strike up a conversation, and I ask him, hey, you know, have you started attending a different church? Are you still worshiping? And um, come to find out, he expressed to me in that meeting that basically he stopped believing, uh, he stopped going to church, uh, and that he has nothing, that he wants nothing to do with Christianity or with Jesus ever again in his life. And I remember after that meeting, uh, I remember going home that night and just crying. I remember just bawling my eyes out because I felt like I had failed him as a pastor, I felt like I had failed him, um, and, and I felt like there was more that I could have done to really, to really help him in his walk with Christ. And even though in that meeting I tried to convince him to come back to church, uh, it was too far gone at that point. It, it seemed like he had built up uh, just a hard shell, a hard layer around his heart against Christianity. 
And, um, and you know, the reason why I'm talking about this is because this letter is asking you, one of the main things it's requiring of us, the main thing that Judah is asking his congregation to do is to contend for their faith. So let's go ahead and take a look at this letter very quickly. Uh, you know, this letter was written by Jude. He's the brother of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 13 and Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus had uh, several brothers. And one of the brothers, his name was Judas. And most likely, this is the same Judas. Uh, he probably ends up shortening his name to Jude because he doesn't want to be associated with Judas Iscariot, who ends up betraying Jesus. Well, Judas uh, was, uh, was not a believer initially. He uh, scoffed at sort of Jesus' messiahship, as would any younger brother, right? They, they would be like, hey, like, you know, I'm not going to believe you're the Savior of the world or Lord of all. Um, but after Jesus' death and resurrection, he ends up being convinced of Jesus' lordship and actually becomes one of the apostles himself. Uh, we don't know exactly who Jude is writing to, but what we know is this, is that it's probably a heavily Jewish church. And the reason why is because he assumes uh, that this congregation has deep knowledge of the Old Testament. He sort of cites Old Testament and alludes to Old Testament things sort of offhand, off cuff, in fast images, uh, and which means that he sort of assumes that his congregation has a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, in addition, Jude writes this letter initially and he tells us in verse 3 that he's going to write this letter because of a common salvation. He's like, look, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but he says something stopped him from writing that. And he tells us in verse 4, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So he says basically this, look, false teachers have crept into the church and this is why I've got to write to you about something else. I wanted to write about common salvation, but I'm going to write to you something else. And so look at what he says in verse 3. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's why I'm writing to you, Jude says. I want you to contend for the faith. I want you to underline that word, contend. That word contend in the Greek is actually two Greek words combined together. It's the word epi, which means on or upon, and agonizomai, uh, 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 which is where we get the word agony from. And that word agonizomai actually means to contend, to fight for, to struggle. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, I want you to agonize over your faith. I want you to struggle for your faith. I want you to fight for your faith. I want you to contend for your faith. And the reason why Jude is pleading with his congregation is because he understands very clearly and he states this very, very clearly that our eternities are at stake. This is not a light matter. That actually your eternities are, are at stake and so contend, fight, struggle for your faith. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, now I want to remind you He's reminding us of a story in the Old Testament. He says, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And what he's referring to here is Numbers chapter 14, right? Jesus or God ends up rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt. They wander in the desert. They get to the promised land. Moses sends in these spies, 12 of them. And guess what? 10 of them come back with disbelieving hearts. They're like, we don't believe, even though God split the Red Sea, even though God provided for them, 
They're like, we don't believe in God. We don't believe he can save us. We don't believe he can help us get into the promised land. Only two spies come back, Caleb and Joshua, and they give a good report. And this is what he's referring to. He's saying, look, you could believe at one point, but you could lose that belief. You could believe at one point, but if you lose your faithfulness, it doesn't matter if you're baptized, it doesn't matter if your parents were Christians, it doesn't matter if you grew up in Sunday school, it doesn't matter if at one point you cried your eyes out and said, I believe Jesus. He says, look, over time, if you stop believing, this is what's at stake. You might not make it to the promised land. Listen to what Thomas Schreiner says. He's a, uh, he's a biblical commentator that I read in order to prepare for the sermon. He said the Israelites destroyed in the wilderness probably believed they were truly a part of God's people. Their disobedience demonstrated otherwise. Similarly, some in Jude's community may have thought they were genuinely part of God's people. But Jude insisted that continued faithfulness is the only way to demonstrate this. Those who apostatize reveal that they were not truly members of God's people. Responses to warnings reveal retrospectively who really belongs to the people of God. And I would add that in our community. You may have thought you were genuinely a part of God's people, but only your continued faithfulness will demonstrate this. If you end up stop believing, then it shows that you never really believed in the first place. Here's an objection. Well, Eric, you know, I thought you can't lose your salvation. I, I thought once you're saved, you're always saved. I thought God keeps you in his salvation. Once you're saved, always saved. And that is absolutely true. That is absolutely right. And yet what Jude is telling us here is that, look, if you stop believing, it means that you never truly believed in the first place. Uh, you know, if you look at the opening, uh, the opening and closing of the letter, Jude actually repeats, sort of repeats himself twice. He says in verse 1 this, he says, To those who are called, beloved in, the God, in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. I want you to underline that word kept. Okay, look at verse 24 now, at the very end of the letter, in the benediction that he gives, right? He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jude opens and closes his letter by saying, look, God keeps you in his salvation. God keeps you in his salvation, but in verses three and on, in the middle section of that letter, he says, look, contend for your faith, fight for it, struggle for it. Yes, God's power is what keeps you, but you have to do some fighting of your own. Look, Paul reiterates this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, look, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because this is what's going to really prove, friends, that you were really a believer, that you really belong to the people of God, is the fact that you continuously contend for your faith. And what's really interesting to me is that I really felt the Lord guiding me this week, guiding me to this passage. Because I'll tell you, at first when I put together this sermon series, One Hit Wonders, I, I thought it would be a light sermon series, something fun for us to study. I wanted to write about our common salvation. I wanted to write about something joyful. I wanted us to have this, you know, this fun sermon series to do together. And yet as I studied the book of Jude, I felt just very much like Jude, like God was turning me. And, and he wanted me to talk about something very, very serious, which is you have to contend and fight for your faith. Look, I mentioned this last week, but New Life Fellowship, we've been separated for some time now. The last time we worshiped physically together was back in March, and it's November now. I don't know how you're doing. I don't know how you're doing spiritually. 
And last week I talked about this, look, it encourages pastors, right? It encourages pastors whenever we find out people are walking the truth, but the greatest sorrow we have, the greatest sorrow we have is when we find out people have walked away from the truth. And friends, what I'm saying is this, look, we've made Sunday worship services so easy for you. It's like Amazon, delivered right to your home. In fact, you don't even have to get out of bed. You could pro- if you have a TV in front of your bed, you could probably just wake up and turn on our Sunday worship services. You don't even have to move, you don't even have to move your legs to turn on our Sunday worship services. There's so little sacrifice in worship. And friends, this is why I want to plead and beg with you to contend for your faith, to fight for it, to agonize, to struggle. Friends, in this digital age, please do not stop fighting and contending for your faith because your eternities are at stake. Let's move on to our second point, cheap grace. So how do we do that? How do we contend? How do we fight for our faith? According to this passage, according to Jude, uh, there's really two things. There's one negative and one positive, right? There's one negative thing that we have to guard ourselves from, and then there's a positive thing that we have to add to ourselves, right? And that's what points two and three will be. Point two will be about that negative thing, and then point three about, will be about adding that positive thing, okay? So, um, you know, because this is a flyby sermon, right, that we could probably spend a few weeks on this passage, I encourage you to go back and read uh, through verses 8 to all the way to about 16. Uh, There it gives a a wonderful description, a a really robust description of who these false teachers really were. But in this sermon, for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to go into who these false teachers were. Rather, I just want to talk about what they were preaching. Because what they were preaching was so pernicious, was so hidden. Uh, It sounds true, but it's not true at all. And here's what I think the false teachers were teaching. And this is what I want to focus on. Okay, verse 4, look there, right? It says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, right? They're unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, and listen to what he says here. I want you to underline this next part. Who pervert the grace of our God in sensuality who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they were teaching. They were perverting the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for sensuality. So here's what they were probably saying. It was something like this, right? If we're saved by grace, then it doesn't matter what we do morally. If we're saved by grace, it doesn't matter what we do. In fact, when a Christian sins, when we sin, grace grace abounds all the more, so we should sin more. It only serves to magnify the grace of God, so I'm going to keep sinning. In effect, what they did is they turned the grace of God against the commandments of God. They turned the grace of God against the commandments of God. In other words, if I could put it like this, they cheapened grace by cheapening the cost, by lowering the cost of sin. Have you ever cheapened grace by lowering the cost of sin? Have you ever done that? You know, John Piper, he's a pastor, theologian. He says this, the worst enemies of Christian doctrine are professing Christians. The worst enemies of Christian doctrine are professing Christians. Do you know what the worst enemy to a wholesome, godly family is? It's not a failing economy. It's not even thieves or robbers. You know what's really harmful to a godly, wholesome family? It's it's actually a neglectful, uncaring father or mother. It's an abusive father or mother. It's a father or mother who's never there, or maybe it's a bitter, 
bitter marriage, a quarrelsome marriage that's inside of the family. You see what I'm getting at here? It's not the outside stuff that is actually dangerous to you. It's, it's actually the internal stuff that's dangerous to you. Look, the worst enemy to your body is not a gash or a cut. The worst thing for your body is an invisible virus that can penetrate your body and kill you from the inside out. The worst enemy of Christ's grace to us is actually the Christian, not the non-Christian. Because it's the Christian who perverts the grace of Christ. Look, Christians, we cheapen grace when we don't look at the full cost of our sin. Have you ever habitually sinned and then just preached this subtle, false heresy to yourself where you say, ah, it's okay, you know, Jesus forgives me. I'm just going to keep doing it because Jesus forgives me. Uh, you, you know what, like I, I got drunk tonight, uh, but I'll just keep getting drunk because you know what, God forgives me every time. You, you know what, I, I've been watching pornography, but uh, you know, I'll just keep doing it because God forgives me. You know what, I've been, I've been talking a lot of smack to my wife and to my husband and I do it all the time and I cuss at them, and, but, but you know what, God forgives me. You know, uh, you know what? I talk back to my parents, and I and 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 I don't obey my parents. But you know what? God forgives me. And here's the thing: yes, of course, Christ forgives you, of course. But He doesn't forgive you so you can go on sinning. He doesn't forgive you so He gives you a license to sin. He forgives you so that you can stop sinning, so that you can stop it dead in its tracks. You know that word pervert there in, in verse 4, right? That word where he says pervert the grace of God, the grace of Christ Jesus. That word pervert means to change. We're changing the grace of Christ. See, the grace of Christ is designed to give you reason to fight against sin, not license to commit sin. And yet we change the grace to fit our needs so we can justify our sinning. And yet only if we understood the grace if only we understood the cost of our forgiveness, if we only understood what it took to forgive us of our sins, would we then be moved to worship Christ and break off our sins? Uh, you know, there's a children's book out there called The Giving Tree. Uh, it's written by a gentleman named Charles Silverstein. And I'm sure many, many of you have read this book. It's a very popular book. Uh, but it follows this young boy and an apple tree. And at the beginning of the book, the boy, the little boy and the apple tree are hanging out. They have lots of fun together. He's swinging on our branches and they spend a lot of time together. But as the boy gets older, they begin distancing their relationship and uh, he begins uh, sort of having his own life and so they don't spend as much time together. But the boy only comes back at periodic stages in his life to basically ask the tree for stuff. Uh, he only comes uh, for material possessions. And so, for example, at one part of his life, he comes back and he wants money. But the tree doesn't have money, so what she does is she gives the boy all of her apples, all of her wonderful, beautiful apples to go sell on the market so he can have money. He comes back a second time at a different po portion of his life as he gets older, and he wants a house. And so she doesn't have money to buy him a house, but she says, look, I have branches. I can give you these branches so you can build yourself a house. And so he builds himself a house. Time passes again. He comes back once more and he tells the, he tells the uh, tree, look, I, I want a boat. And so the tree says, I don't really have money to buy you a boat, but I can give you my trunk, which you can make a boat from. And by the end of this time, the, the tree, this beautiful tree with beautiful apples and beautiful branches and a beautiful trunk now just becomes a little old stump. 
And the elderly man, uh, he comes back, the, the little boy is now an elderly man, he comes back at the end of his life and he comes back to this tree and the tree is so sad because she can't offer anything else. And yet all the man wants now is a place to sit, a quiet place to sit, and so she offers her stump to him. And the reason why this story is so compelling and emotional is because the boy doesn't realize just how much the tree sacrifices for him. That in order for her to provide for him, she actually had to chop off a part of her life. She actually had to give up her very own life for her, for him. And we are like this boy. We don't understand that something had to be sacrificed. Something had to be paid for you to utter those amazing, amazing words. I'm forgiven. Do you understand the, the sacrifice and the cost for Jesus Christ for you to utter those amazing, phenomenal, fantastic, wonderful words, I'm forgiven? Because there was a huge cost. It was free for you. It was free for me, but it was paid by the blood of God himself. Look, people... Look here, I'm going to take a little tangent, but I'm going to bring it full circle. Look, people think that, uh, people think that God can do anything and everything, but did you know that God can't do something, some things? This is not heresy. This is true. It's in the Bible. Okay, God, for example, cannot begin. He has no beginning. He can never begin, and He can never end. God can never do evil. There are certain things God cannot do, and there are certain things that God never experienced. When Jesus Christ was born as a little baby, do you realize that he had never ever experienced being born? He didn't know what that was like and yet he was born into human flesh. Did you know that on the cross uh, and, and in life, Jesus would for the first time in his life experience death for all of eternity. He didn't know what death was like and then he would experience on the cross death itself. Jesus never experienced evil. He knew nothing of evil. He was so holy, so righteous for all of eternity. And yet on the cross, guess what? For the first time, he experienced evil. Why? Because the sins of the world would be lopped onto him. The sins of the world would be thrust onto him. He who, who, who knew no sin, knew sin for the first time ever in his eternity. And on the cross, the Father, for the first time in his existence, would turn his face away for all of eternity. They had a loving, loving, gracious, loving relationship that could never ever be separated. And yet on the cross, because Jesus Christ took our sins, he was separated from the Father for the first time. And he did all of this for what? He did all of this so that you could say, oh yeah, he forgives me. Do you understand what it cost Jesus? Do you understand what it cost him to pay for your sins? If you understood the cost, we wouldn't be so flippant about our forgiveness. If we understood the cost, we would actually fight harder. And when you see the cost, how can you then simply say, oh, well, Jesus forgives me. The mark of a true believer is someone who contends for their faith, fights up against their sin, even though they don't have to pay for it. Because they understand the cost to Jesus Christ. Grace is free for us, friends, but it costs the Son of God everything. You know, one of our deacons, I have the privilege of uh, praying with her along with our prayer team, and uh, it's such a wonderful time on Sunday mornings, and uh, mind you now, this woman prays a lot. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much everyone prays, but I, I know how much she prays, and she, she prays a lot. And, um, but one week, I was just so shocked because in one of the weeks that we were praying together, I remember a few weeks ago, she said, 
God, would you forgive me? And she was almost in tears. She said, God, I don't pray enough. And I was like, what? I was like, you, you probably pray more than anyone else in this church, but you're asking for forgiveness on this? See, because the closer and closer you get to Jesus, the closer and closer to, to Jesus you get, you understand the sins that you have. A true believer is someone who really loves God, who looks at their sin, any sin, and mourns and weeps over it. This is why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn and weep, for they shall be comforted. Why? Because they're mourning and weeping over their sins, because it costs God everything. Friends, the first step to contending for our faith is fighting up against this pernicious, false heresy that says, I can go on sinning because Christ has forgiven, forgiven me. The grace of Christ is not there for you to abuse. It's there for you to see the folly of your ways, repent, and turn back to Christ. This leads us to our third point, costly discipleship. Uh, let's look at verse 20 to 21 now because Jude here is going to tell us uh, three positive things that we need to actually add to our lives in order to contend for our faith, okay? And I'll explain these things one by one, okay? So let's look at verses 20 to 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, okay? I want you to underline building. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying. I want you to underline praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Keep yourselves, I want you to underline keep, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to underline waiting, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I want you to underline those four words, keep building, praying, and waiting, okay? If you were to read this passage in the Greek, what you'll come to find is that all of those three words, praying, building, and keeping, oh, sorry, building, uh, praying, and waiting are all modifying that one verb, keep. So in other words, let me put it like this, right? Let's look at verse 21 again, right? It says, keep yourselves in God, God's love, okay? This is how, this is how you actually contend for your faith is by keeping yourself in God's love. God will keep you in his love, but you also have to keep yourself in God's love. Okay, that's the key. That's how you fight. That's how you struggle for your faith. And then he gives us three ways in which we keep ourselves in God's love. You see that? So he says, building yourselves up, praying, and then waiting. Okay, so let's go through each of these one by one. So I want to explain each one, okay? He says, building yourselves, uh, building yourselves up in your most holy faith is how you keep yourself in God's love, okay? In Ephesians 2.20, Paul tells us that people, that the people of God must be built, okay, there's a foundation, and they must be built upon what? The apostles, the prophets, and the cornerstone of it all being Jesus Christ. And I think Jude is saying something very similar here. He's saying this, look, he's saying the most holy faith upon which the church is being built is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And this faith has Jesus as its center. Look, most of us, we build our lives upon Netflix, right? Like if I were to ask you, hey, name me a bunch of your favorite shows on Netflix, uh, name me a bunch of your favorite movies on Netflix, I bet you'd be able to rattle off a whole list of movies and shows. But if I were to ask you how many books of the Bible, what are your favorite books of the Bible, I'm sure that you'd have a hard time maybe pronouncing some of the names of the books of the Bible. And all this to say is we watch a ton of Netflix, but how much of the Bible have we actually read? If we're to build our faith upon, if we're to build upon this most holy faith, we have to know our scriptures. We have to know the gospel which is presented to us, which is found in the word of God. And I've been hammering this home week in and week out, but you've got to read your word. If you don't read the word, I mean, what can you build your faith upon? What can you build upon if you don't know the words of God? 
You've watched more movies and TV shows on Netflix than words in the Bible this past year. And we have to struggle. We have to fight. We have to contend. Look, one of the things that I have a vision for in 2021, starting next year, is we want to begin equipping you with foundational truths. And I'm really, really excited about this. Uh, We want to begin equipping you with foundational truths so you can build your most holy faith upon these things, right? Um, So Pastor Sarah and I, uh, Pastor Sarah is moving more into a discipleship role now. We met recently, and man, I'm so excited because we're coming out with a, a few classes that we feel like every Christian at our church should take. Ones that you can really be applicable to your lives that will help you uh, in living out relationships better, knowing the gospel, uh, living out your lives missionally, uh, and understanding God's will for your life. And we feel like this is going to be great and awesome, and we want you to participate in this. And one of the first classes we're going to be rolling out starting in January 2021 is actually a new believers class, especially for all of you who clicked on the I, I Commit My Life to Jesus button. We actually want to begin equipping you with foundational truths so you can begin building your faith. Look, again, in 2021, starting in January, we're also going to do a church-wide Bible reading together. For 45 days, we want you to read the Gospels. And so what we're going to be challenging you towards is in January 2021, starting at the first day, we want you to read through the book of Luke and through the book of John. And if you combine those two books together, you you get about 45 chapters. So every day, you'll read one chapter of the Gospels and you'll... Hopefully, a pair up into groups in your community groups or amongst friends. You'll use the Youth Version Bible app, and you'll be able to kind of text and really uh, text your reflections to each other and keep each other accountable in this group. So you're reading and building and contending and fighting for your faith. These are all things we're, we want to do starting in January. But here's the thing: start now, contend, fight, struggle, agonize over your faith by reading God's Word. Look, I know it's not the most flashiest thing. Of course, playing a video game. Watching TV, uh, you know, whatever. It's so much more fun, I'll be honest. But this is why we have to struggle, contend, and fight. Here's the second part that he says, right? He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is by far the easiest verse to understand. It's to pray. Simple. Now, he says in the Holy Spirit, not because he wants you to speak in tongues. That's not what he's getting at here. But he's saying this, look, anytime you pray, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. Anytime you pray, the Holy Spirit's interceding on your behalf. Anytime you pray, the Holy Spirit helps you. And so for all of you who say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. It's okay because you're praying in the Spirit. The Spirit's going to help you. And so sit and wait. You've got to be patient. You can't just expect, oh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray quickly. No, you've got to wait. You've got to wait for the Spirit to help you to pray. Wait on Him to give you the words. And you can pray. And yet here's still another thing for you, right? If you don't know how to pray, right, Look, it's very simple. How do you learn how to talk? You learn how to talk by listening to other people. This is how babies grow, right? Uh, for, for example, uh, I was reading uh, my son Josiah's story. He's my older son. I was reading him a story, and in that story, uh, there's a bird who flaps its wings, right? And so the story tells you to say, flap, 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 right? So I said that. I said, flap, flap, flap. And guess what? Ezekiel, my second born, he's 11 months. He heard that, and he imitated it. And he went, flap, flap, flap. Blah, blah, blah. And every time I say flap, 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 he says blah, 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 blah. He's imitating me because this is how you learn how to talk. You imitate. And in the same way, this is how you learn how to pray. You imitate. 
you listen to other people's prayers and you learn from them. You learn how they pray. This is why God gave us the book of Psalms. The Psalms are a prayer book. Learn how David prayed. Learn how Solomon prayed. Learn how Asaph prayed. You can listen to these prayers. Uh, I encourage you to pick up a book called Valley of Visions. It's written, it's an old Puritan prayer book, but it's a wonderful book to listen to the prayers of the past. And in fact, lastly, I invite you to our Saturday and Sunday morning prayers. We pray out loud. You can listen to the prayer of other saints and learn how they pray. This is how you're going to grow in prayer. And yet finally, I'll say this, right? Prayer is equivalent to water to the body. Look, I heard this recently, right? You can live without food for multiple days or for multiple weeks, but you can't live without water for even a few days. And yet this is what you're doing to your body. Your, your, part, your body, your soul is parched. It's thirsty. And it's because you haven't been praying. This is why your soul is so anxious. This is why your soul is so tired. This is why your soul is so agitated. It's because you're thirsty and you're reaching out for other things, other pleasures like Netflix and food and video games and all these things. And yet God is simply asking you, look, drink from my well. My well is endless. Remember John 4, he says, look, drink this water and you'll never thirst again. Friends, you must pray in order to refresh your souls once again. Here's the last thing he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very simple. He's talking about waiting for the day when Jesus actually comes back. <clears throat> Look, do you wait for the day when there are no more wars? Do you wait and long for the day when justice reigns? Do you wait for the day when there's no more poverty, no more hunger, no more division, no more adultery, no more domestic abuse, no more suicide, no more isolation, no more depression? Do you wait and long for Jesus to come back? Or are you so wrapped up in your present circumstances that you never lift up your head to look for Jesus, for His coming, for His salvation to reign? Look, friends, some of, this, some of the most godly people I know, some of the most faithful Christians I know, they wait and they pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, they see the evil. They see the injustice. They see the unrighteousness of our world and they pray and they seek that justice to come fully in Jesus Christ in His second coming. And friends, I'm asking you, do you wait for that day? Or again, are you idolizing the things of the now, the things of the present? And look, if you're not a Christian here today, I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us. I'm so glad that you're seeking something that's beyond yourself. And I want you to know this, that we believe here at New Life Fellowship that this life is not all that there is, that there is a hope to come after this one, that there awaits us a glory beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. And maybe you're at home watching this, and maybe you're at home and you feel hopeless, and you feel hopeless today. And today you feel depressed and you feel like a shadow is being cast upon your life. Jesus Christ offers you hope. A hope that never fades, a hope that never grows dim. This is a hope because he says this life is not all that there is. There is a hope to come. I'm coming back to save you. I'm coming back to save you from yourselves. Look, and friend, if you want that hope, if you want the hope of resurrection, if you want the hope of a new life, if you want a hope where there is no more pain, no more suffering, and friends, if you want that hope in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is submit to Him as your Lord and your Savior because He is there and He wants to save you from your hopelessness. He wants to save you from your depression. He wants to save you out of that gloom and darkness and bring you into the light 
and into the hope that he has to offer you today. And so friends, if you're there sitting at home and you feel the Holy Spirit making these truths alive to you today, please click on that I commit my life to Jesus button. Please do and click on it again, please. Because we would love to begin praying with you. And we'd love to begin plugging you into this new believers class that we want to launch in January. We're working on it hard right now and we want to release it soon. And so we want to start walking with you today. So please click on it today. I encourage you, I implore you, commit your lives to Christ today and feel His hope, feel His warmth in your souls. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to ask you, Lord, for all of those who are sitting at home who feel hopeless today. God, for all of those who feel the dark, gloomy cloud of depression God, for all of those who are at home and feel the sadness, God, of this season, Lord, we pray, God, that you would infuse them with their hope once again. Would you remind them that you're coming back, Lord, that you're not going to leave us here, that you're not going to leave us in our own treachery, in our own sin, in our own mud, God, you're going to save us once again. And Lord, would you encourage us with this hope today? And Lord, may we contend, may we fight for our faith, not because, God, not because uh, we can save ourselves, but God, because we've already been saved, because you've forgiven us with your blood on the cross. Lord, we pray, God, that you remind us of this truth daily. Lord, that you've forgiven us, that you've washed us clean of our sins. And Lord, we pray that you would fuel us once again to turn to you, to cling unto you for strength and hope so we can fight against our sins, to love you more. And Lord, we pray finally for those who received you today. Lord, we ask that you would continuously walk with them, love them, show them your mercy, your grace, help them to experience you fully, Lord, as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, would you rise for the benediction? And if you're unfamiliar with the benediction, it just means a good word. We want you to leave this place with a good word. And friends, as you leave this place today, what I want you to remember is this, that Jesus is coming back. Our great and glorious Jesus who died on a cross for your sins, the great and glorious Jesus who sacrificed all he had for you, he's coming back to bring peace, love, grace, mercy, and this should fuel us, friends. This should fuel our bodies, our hearts, and souls to contend and to fight for the faith. Why? Because he's coming back, friends. And so hear now the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.